Welcome to Blakey Psychotherapy. We're glad you're here. Thinking about therapy and talking to a therapist requires courage. You've taken the first step. Grief. What's the rush? I read a lot. I read to increase my knowledge to be useful to my clients. I read in order to figure out how to do things. And I read for pleasure. Despite the number of books and articles that I read, it's not often that I experience a really moment. However, that's exactly what happened to me when I recently read Closure, The Rush to End Grief and What It Costs Us by Nancy Burns. As the title suggests, the premise of closure is that in Western culture, we are encouraged not only to hurry through the grief process, but that it is acceptable to do so. The acceptable way can be summed up in the idea of closure. Now, what comes to mind when you think of closure? Chances are that your ideas may be different if you're a mathematician, a business person, or a jeweler. From a psychological perspective, the Cambridge English Dictionary defines closure as the feeling or the act of bringing an unpleasant situation, time, or experience to an end so that you are able to start new activities. This definition suggests a distinct point in time, the point between the past and the future. However, is closure that cut and dried? How do we know when we've attained it? Do we even want it? I'm going to tell you a story. For Emily, a teacher, and Darren, the GM at a golf course, this particular Tuesday started out as usual. They woke up with the alarm at 7 o'clock in the morning. He walked the dog while she showered. She made breakfast while he got dressed. They ate quickly together, sharing their plans for the day before heading off to work. Suddenly, at 11.15 a.m., things went terribly wrong. Darren was in a meeting with the catering manager when he received a call from Emily's principal. Emily had passed out while supervising the morning nutrition break and had been rushed to the hospital by ambulance. By the time that Darren arrived at the emergency department 15 minutes later, Emily had died. The autopsy showed that Emily had succumbed to a massive heart attack. She was 34. The following days were a blur for Darren. Family members arrived to help with the decisions. The meeting at the funeral home revolved around choices that would help Darren and others to say goodbye to Emily and to reach a place of closure. Not sure what to do, Darren followed everyone's advice to have a traditional funeral and reception. At the reception, many people commented on that Emily would have been pleased with the service and how that must help him find closure. After a month, Darren returned to work. He was still dazed and decided that a regular routine would be helpful. When his colleague no colleagues noticed that he still wasn't himself, he received suggestions on how he could move ahead with his grief in order to find closure. Friends also added their opinions about his behavior with comments about how to move on. They told him stories of how others in his situation had been able to find closure after the death of a loved one. Angry, hurt, and frustrated by others' input, Darren de decided to deal with his grief privately, no longer telling people the truth of how he was feeling. 
If closure meant he had to leave Emily behind, and if that was what was expected of him, he had no interest. Burns states that the addition of closure language has become a common part of the grief culture, along with the idea that we haven't successfully completed our grief journey until we've reached a, reached a place of closure and are able to move on. However, many people, like Darren, feel that the idea of closure isn't possible, as the pain of grief never goes away. The pain decreases, but it never disappears. In fact, some people adamantly resist the idea of closure as they don't want to say goodbye forever. To make matters worse, closure language can put pressure on people who are already feeling unsteady as they try to cope with a new normal. If they aren't experiencing closure or have decided that they don't want closure as defined by cultural norms, they may feel that they're not doing it right and feel shame on top of all the other emotions that they're dealing with. These people often say that they have found closure as a way to be acceptable in the eyes of others, even if they haven't. This rushing and faking may prevent them from performing the tasks of grieving. Now, while there isn't a universal roadmap for the griefing process, there are recognized tasks along the journey. J. William Warden, in his book Grief Counseling and Grief Therapy, suggests that there are four tasks that are part of the grieving process. One, accept the reality of the loss. Whether the loss is a person, a place, or a thing, we need to accept the fact that the loss has occurred and what was lost is not returning. Process the pain of the grief. Some people experience grief as physical pain or develop anxiety or panic attacks. Adjust to the world without what we have lost. Externally, this may mean adjusting to living alone or developing a new routine. Internally, developing a new sense of self. Answering, who am I now if I'm not? And spiritually, looking for meaning in the loss and determining the nature of the world. Is it kind? Is it harsh? And finally, Maintaining a connection with what we've lost while at the same time starting a new life. How do we integrate that person, place, or thing into our new life? The goal of these tasks is to adjust to a new reality and integrate the missing person, place, or thing into that reality. We are not leaving anything behind unless we choose to do so. Now for the explanation of my really experience. I feel that grief is a normal and natural response to a life-changing event. It is a process that takes as long as it takes, an individual journey with individual results. When we are told what the process should look like and what the end goal should be, for example, closure, I have a problem. Closure, the rush to end grief and what it costs us, provides many examples of how closure has become a commodity. Burns describes how closure language has been used to sell everything from public memorials to capital punishment, she's writing in the U.S., as well as extravagant funeral and burial services for both people and pets. The author goes to show examples of how elaborate and sometimes grotesque divorce parties that include everything from a piñata with the face of your ex on it 
to small caskets for wedding ring burials and divorce cakes with headless brides or groom. The goal is a sense of fun and closure. Really? As a therapist, I question the value of the grief process being treated as a sales opportunity to the person living with loss. As Darren experienced, the funeral home was selling closure. Depending on where Emily died, an autopsy may not have been required, but could have been offered as a way of, to provide closure for Darren and his family. If Darren had decided against a traditional funeral, he may have been approached by a business offering to turn Emily's ashes into jewelry or sew them into custom-made stuffed toys that can be distributed to loved ones. Some companies specialize in scattering ashes either by boat or plane, their message being that we will find closure in this act and we'd better not attempt it ourselves. There are successful and unsuccessful ways to spread ashes, and it's important to leave it to the professionals. When we are in the throes of loss, we can be at our most vulnerable to the opinions of others. We may begin to doubt ourselves as well as our ability to know what's best for ourselves and our loved ones. How can we avoid being sold things that we don't want in search of closure? Have the important conversations with our loved ones about our final wishes. When everyone is aware of the expectations, there's less chance that they will feel pressured to buy things in order to give us a good send-off and find closure. When loss happens, whether through death, divorce, job loss, what have you, surround yourself with trusted people, those who have proved themselves to be trustful before the event. Recognize that the grief journey is an individual one. Trust yourself that you know what you need and have the strength to ask or provide it. And be aware of the prevalence of closure language in our culture. You can choose if you want to include it in your grief journey or not. Every grief journey is individual. I hope this has been helpful. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening. The Blakey Psychotherapy Podcast is produced and recorded by Anita Woodard from Woodard Administration. Please subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast. For more information or to connect, our website is www.loriblakey.com. Thank you and take care of your mental health.